Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning, uh, we are actually going to uh, wrap up in our series in Hosea. And uh, Hosea, uh, and we're going to look at uh, uh, God's love is amazing. Uh, we're going to finish this up. And this Old Testament prophet, he's a great guy. Now, I've got some of the scriptures up for you. We were having some more, our computer crash this morning, probably power outage or something. I don't know. And uh, so I've got some of the scriptures up there for you. But otherwise, you can turn with me into Hosea. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 11. We're going to go through some others. I'm going to bring some New Testament in as well for you. And, uh, but uh, this guy, we know Hosea, he married this lady who was promiscuous. He was unfaithful. And the relationship that Hosea and his wife Gomer had was really a picture of God's relationship with Israel and, and uh, they, how they struggled. And the Lord had reached out to them with his mercy only to have his people pull away from him. Uh, and mercy really is a wonderful word. Uh, mercy is a, is a great word, and it's a concept that people want for themselves, but they don't always want to extend that mercy over to other people, right? Uh, and uh, so it could be that this is why the Lord says in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, these words. And he says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, there's a great power in that as he's speaking to his people. And uh, we know that the burnt offerings and those offerings were required of the people of Israel at that time. And God is saying, I want more than that. I, I would rather have mercy more than your sacrifices. And uh, there was a mother who once uh, approached uh, Napoleon Bonaparte uh, and she was asking him for a pardon for her son uh, that had con committed some kind of a crime. We know that Napoleon was uh, known to have conquered much of uh, Europe back in the 1800s, and uh, so in the early 1800s. And the emperor told this mother that her son had, had committed this offense two times. And because of that, justice demanded the death penalty is what he was saying. And so the young man's mom said back to the emperor, she said, but I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. And Napoleon, uh, he, he didn't pull any punches, and he said, but your son does not deserve mercy. And this desperate mom knew what, her ju what justice was, and she also knew what mercy really was, and so she responded like this. And she said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Napoleon got the point. And, and he responded back to her and he says, well then, I will have mercy. And he spared that woman's son. It's within the power of this world leader to look at that woman and say, tough luck. He could have done that, couldn't he? He could have just said that. And, uh, but at this point, he showed mercy, and we need to recognize that true mercy originates with God himself. 
because God is the one that has shown mercy on us, and uh, we need to recognize that fact that the Lord shows us more mercy than we give him credit for, I would say. Uh, if you look at mercy from the New Testament perspective, uh, you find that the Apostle Paul declares this while writing to the followers of Jesus over in Ephesus. Uh, and uh, they're like you and I, they're human beings, and uh, they have struggled, and they were followers of Jesus, and this is what he says to them in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. I'm going to jump to verse 3, all of us also lived among them uh, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, and, and I highlighted that here in my notes, that's who we were deserving wrath before we put our trust in the Lord. And then he says in verse 4, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. When we see that passage, when we hear the power of the Lord in that and the great mercy that he has had towards us, we, we didn't deserve it, right? Uh, we didn't deserve it any better than anyone else did, and, but he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. It's like that guilty young man who, uh, who was going to face Napoleon's judgment. We were deserving wrath and we were deserving that judgment, but because of his great love, he had mercy on our lives. Uh, and uh, we, we were guilty, but God extended that hand of mercy, and that is a powerful thing that he holds within his hand. Remember, God's people, Israel, they're in the courtroom with God as uh, the judge, and he's the judge and jury, really no jury, and Pastor Steve talked to us last week uh, about that and being in the, in the courtroom, and and, and so really, it's, we're just before the Lord, and his people are in front of him, and God is testifying not only of their actions, not only what they have done, but also of his own love and mercy that he had towards them. And, and God's testifying of this, and it's here in Hosea 11 that we really find that God shows mercy to his people Israel. God demonstrated his love to Israel when he pulled them out of slavery while they were in the wilderness. We see that there in chapter 11, yet they still went their own way, and it wasn't God's desire uh, for them to sit in the courtroom all day in front of him waiting for him to hand out his judgment. Let's look at Hosea chapter 11 together. We'll look at those first five verses there. And uh, I think that may be on the screen for you too, but um, it says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to, to images or to idols. And it was I who taught 
Ephraim to walk, talking, uh, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. Look how the Lord is writing to them. And, and he says in verse 4 there, he said, I led them with the cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek and bent down to feed them. Look at, look at the language that the Lord is using uh, through the prophet here. And then he says in verse five, 5, will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? And he's basically saying they're going to go back this way. They're going to go back into judgment under them because of the way that if they don't, if they don't repent, if they don't turn back to the Lord. Uh, but some people can read this and, and see that they, they get this, uh, and, they, and they may get this self-righteous attitude about Israel at this point. And, and that's a very dangerous thing to have, but people do that. They'll, they'll read the Word of God and like this, and they'll say, oh, well, look, look at how Israel treated God. Look at how Judah... Uh, treated uh, God, and uh, so when they look at them, and, and uh, you've got to realize that God loves them. Even though God's people, Israel, at this time as a whole, were not willing to turn back to God, that does not mean He didn't love them. And He did love them greatly. Can you hear the tender wor words and the tender language that the Lord has for His people? As you read this passage, there's no question. And, and how it says in verse 4 there, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. He cares. Why would God treat them this way? You, you, you can see right before this that He says there in verse 3 what He says. He said, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. And he's using that term Ephraim as one of the tribes. He's talking about them and uh, Israel. And he's taking them by the arms. And they did not realize it was I who healed them. How many times? Because we don't realize that God was working in our lives. That he was working in our past. Uh, sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we, we miss out on that. And as we we're looking at this, sometimes, like I said, people will get this attitude, uh, the self-righteous attitude about Israel. Some will even go so far to say that God will replace them, but no, God will not replace Israel. Uh, some would say He replaced them with the church. No, He has not replaced Israel with the church. I know that some people may teach that, but He hasn't. And uh, we recognize they they. People will look down on them and say, how could, God, how could you ignore God? But before you go too far here, uh, we have to go back to Ephesians chapter 2 for a second. Because it's here in Ephesians 2 where it says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Speaking of all of us, uh, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. See, you and I need mercy. You and I need God's mercy, just like Israel needed God's mercy. We need it, and we, we find something else here uh, as well, that God showed his love by his faithfulness to his promises. He had made them promises, and he's going to be faithful to them. 
Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, it says this. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adama? How can I make you like Zeboim? We'll talk about those for a second. My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. God's not like us in a sense. He treats us well. Maybe we don't deserve it, but He treats us well. And really, there's two heartbreaking questions here that we have to look at. And these things reveal the depth of God's love for His people. And despite the sure judgment that was soon to come on unfaithful Israel, he could not bear to give up his chosen people forever. And here he called them Ephraim and Israel, and his persistent love kept him from treating them like he, like he did with Adama and Zeboim. And these were two cities uh, that were tied in to Sodom and Gomorrah. And you'll, you'll find them mentioned over in Deuteronomy chapter 29. Uh, and what, what, we, uh, what we understand is that God will correct His people Israel, but He's having mercy on them. He's not going to annihilate them like Sodom and Gomorrah and Zeboim and this other city. They, that's not what God was going to do. He was saying, I am going to have mercy on you. Now, it doesn't actually mean that he is not going to correct them. We understand that from what Scripture says. He still is going to correct them. Most of us have had friends who have uh, chosen to turn away from us at one point or the other in our lives. And just because they have walked away does not mean that they are not loved. You may still call them. You may still try to talk with them now and then. And you can imagine the emotion uh, that God feels when somebody has turned away from Him. And, and He had done so much to show them His love, but as Hosea says, they have not acknowledged Him. His own people haven't acknowledged Him. And, and even when the Lord corrects uh, His people Israel, He did, did it to help them come back. And, you know, I, I've said earlier, like the last time I spoke on Hosea, you know, uh, God, sometimes when we look at the Old Testament, we look at that and say, God seems to be so harsh with them. He seems to be uh, so tough with them. Yet, God is always trying to pull his people back to himself because of his love. And, and that's kind of how it is. The second part of this is we recognize that God corrects us. And God corrects us even now. God was correcting Israel. He was walking uh, through that process with them. And God corrects us even now. So correction or discipline is part of being a disciple. It's part of being a human, right? As we, we recognize that, that we were corrected when we were young in one fashion or the other. And, uh, and you can look with me over here into the New Testament where the writer of Hebrews reminds us of some very basic instruments of love in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12 says in verses 5 and 6, and he says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, 
And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Because if, if we're the sons and daughters of God, at times he's going to correct us and send us down, work to send us down the right path. And for some reason, we think that when we are young and still in our guardian's home and our parents' home, that if we are rebuked or if we're called out by them for something, that, that we're not loved. It's like that emotional part of us says, wait, no, that, they don't love us because they just said, you can't do that anymore. Don't touch that hot stove. Why would you do that? And uh, why? Because they, that parent loves them. So it's in these times of correction that we find God's grace working in our lives. I couldn't count the times that I was reprimanded as a child. I don't know about you, but of course, for, uh, for uh, many of us that are guys, the boys, yeah, we seem to uh, get a little bit more off often because maybe we were a little bit more wild. I don't know. And, uh, but I, I couldn't count those times. I could think about some of those times that I was reprimanded as a kid. And, and I, I was called out on the carpet many times at, at, at the time. It was frustrating, and probably the same for you. At that time, it was frustrating. During those times, you're looking for mercy, right? Sometimes you don't get the mercy you want, and, uh, as, and, and we know that we don't deserve the mercy, and that's what makes it mercy. It's in these times of correction that we, we find a, a kind of love that says, I care enough that I want to help you do better in life. We don't always understand it at the time, but let's go on and see what Hebrews says there in chapter 12, verse 12, and he says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We're trained by that, and some people want a harvest of righteousness and peace without discipline, and that it doesn't work that way, it doesn't go that way. You may get a harvest, but it won't be a good harvest at that point, and, but it won't be a good one. You, we have a need for discipline in our lives. In Hosea, in chapter 11 here, in verse 12, he says this, it says, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies. Israel with deceit, and Judah, he brings Judah in, now the southern kingdom, and, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful holy, uh, holy One. And then he, in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1, he says this, Ephraim feeds on the wind. In other words, their efforts are worthless. And, and he pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. So it's like he's, he's trying to set up, uh, set up deals with the, with the uh, country that's north of him, set up deals with the country that's the southwest of him, and is trying to, tr trying to make things work. He's setting up these treaties with these nations but it still wasn't going to save them, is what the Lord was saying. 
Lies and violence were likely part of those agreements that, that Hosea is talking about. And uh, what value is in that? And if they were going to make an agreement with someone, it should be with the Lord who loves them. He's the one who had made a covenant with them. And they needed to come back and follow through with their side of the covenant. But they were looking for a harvest that was never going to come in. And so when I was when I was on the farm as a young man, as a youth, uh, my dad had had me start to learn to plant corn, and and then we would plant soybeans and other things. But uh, when I was on the farm, we did that, and, and I my dad had an old John Deere seven thousand planter, uh, and that's just what we had to plant crops at that time. It had markers that would that every time you would go down and uh, plant a, uh, six rows of corn, it, it would the marker would drop down and it would make a mark along the ground. So when you turned around, you could follow that mark so that you stayed within the right distance, and so the rows stayed close. And uh, so, you, in other words, you had to pay attention with that. Otherwise, you would you would be off, and uh, if you didn't, and then you would miss some rows, and you would have an open spot in the field. And then when you got to certain parts of the field, because here in northeast Kansas, the, the, the terraces and the land curves and all that, it's not like western Kansas the same. And so uh, it's not straight lines. We would be curving wherever, and then we would miss sections if we weren't careful. And uh, so uh, and if my dad was here, he'd probably shake his finger at me. I don't know. But uh, he would reprimand me. Uh, when I missed places, and he, he because he cared about the harvest, and he also cared about teaching me how to do it properly. And so, when the crops come up, you could see those places where crops were missing, if you didn't plan it right, if you weren't paying attention well. And so, so what happens though with the harvest at that point? If you didn't plant as much, you're not going to harvest as much. You're not going to have the good harvest. And so because some of it's missing, I, I had to have some discipline to be able to plant the corn with my dad's equipment so that we could have a good harvest. Some people want a harvest of righteousness and peace, but they aren't willing to be disciplined. They aren't willing to be disciplined enough to be able to serve the Lord in a way to be able to receive that harvest. They want to chase the lies of false gods and other things, and they feed on the wind. But God has a better plan. And that's why He reprimands us. He reprimands us all at times when we move out of the, His plan, and we have to allow Him to work in our lives. So here are some reasons for the discipline. Let's look here at Hosea again, Hosea chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. And he says the merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. They like to rip people off, basically. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich and I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. Verse 9, I've been, uh, I have been the Lord your God forever since you came out of Egypt. The Lord is talking to it. And I will make you live in tents again as in the days of your appointed festivals. Basically, I'm going to send you back like it was when you were in the wilderness. And then he says in verse 10, I, I spoke to the prophets 
gave them many visions and told parables through them. He's saying, look, Hosea, uh, Amos, uh, Isaiah, all these guys, I gave them the messages to send to the people of Israel. And that's what you're hearing here. So just as scriptures say, pride comes before the fall, here we find God's people not only cheating others, uh, but we find them in verse 9 saying, oh, I, I'm very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find any iniquity or sin. Really kind of what he's saying there is, well, uh, look, my wealth shows I'm blessed. That's basically what they're saying. My wealth shows I'm blessed. Uh, but corruption was the word for the day. Is it any different now? We have to ask ourselves, is it any different now? I don't believe it is. And maybe they were thinking, oh, God is merciful, so why do I have to change how I live? But the fact is, is we, he's telling them they must repent, they must turn to him. And for us as followers of Jesus, we recognize we, we deserved wrath just like they did. And so we have to make sure that we turn to him fully and allow him to work in our lives. The very people who are to be a witness to the nations have chosen to live like fools. God's chosen people. They've chosen to live like fools in the, in the very biblical sense. If we're going to be the witnesses of Christ, then we need to live out the life that God has called us to. We can only do that when we trust in Him and we put our faith in Christ. But we also need to ask this question. Do we get so satisfied that we lose our hunger for Him? We should know now more than anything that we need Him. Hosea, in chapter 13, verse 6, he says these words. He says, when I, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. What an indictment that was. Remember, they're in the courtroom of the Lord, so to speak, and they had, God took care of them, He was faithful to them, He provided for them. They were satisfied, but then they become proud based on the gift of God, based on the kindness of God, and then they forgot Him. As we wrap up in this part, we have, you have a, a promise for the future, though. So the good part is that we look at Israel and we look at what God is saying to them in Hosea, that there is a promise for the future. And uh, we see that in chapter 14, this last chapter of Hosea. God has a promise for Israel's future, but he also has a promise for you who trust in Christ. As we bring this even to, for us today in Romans chapter 8, this promise, Romans 8 verse 22 to 25 says this to us. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And I would say up to our present time even. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of, to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Some of you say, yeah, 
I can groan for that. Yeah, we, we, we deal with those things. But in verse 24, he says this, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Why would we hope for something that we already have in our hand, right? And he says in verse 25, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, we have a promise. And we have a hope for the future as we turn to our Lord who loves us and who is willing to show mercy towards us. And the great thing is, is that he will restore us. Like he will restore Israel. It's a promise that he made. Look at how the Lord makes his promise to Israel. He's going to restore them. And it is yet to fully happen. We see some things that have happened. But yet the fullness of that is, to, uh, is yet to fully happen. And here in Hosea chapter 14 in verses 4 and 5 he says this. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger is turned away from them and I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar in Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. So he's playing here. Hosea is playing and the Lord is playing through Hosea the that in the end, they will turn over to God and He will heal their waywardness and they will turn back to Him. But we can't get, get away from, from the New Testament passage, though, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse two, 1. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. He was speaking to those believers of Jesus in Ephesus they, they were likely, they were Gentiles. They, there may have been a mixture of Jewish people as there, well, but we, uh, there as well, but we know there were some Gentiles there. And, and uh, what, what, that's what they were, that's what we were. But if we will turn to him, he will restore us. We were all there at one point or the other, all of us. We needed God's mercy more than anything, and Christ came not only to heal our lives, but to give us hope like we never have before. Eternal hope. And this is what the Apostle Paul says to those who followed Jesus in his day, and it comes to us as well. And this wonderful passage, and this is the New Living Translation, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, to 57. It says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Remember right now, we, our bodies groan. We groan, for ver, uh, verse 53, he says, For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. 
And then he says in verse 54, he says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. And it comes out of Hosea. It says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? See, death doesn't have the final say in our lives. The Lord is willing to have mercy on our lives. He also cares for us, uh, cares for us enough that He corrects us. And He directs us back to Himself. And ultimately, we must live a life of discipline as we follow Him. But keep this in front of your heart and of your mind. You have a promise for the future as you look to Christ in faith. That promise is for us who trust in Him. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going, we're going to sing this last song together and we're going to worship the Lord. And I just want to challenge you to remember what Jesus has done for us. We, we were just like the people of Israel. They, they are the covenant people of God. And yes, they had went their own way. And yes, they had broken the covenant. They had served other false gods and they had decided to do whatever they wanted to. They even, at points, they had all that they needed and they were satisfied and it was God that had provided that for them. And once they got satisfied, they got lackadaisical, they kind of uh, leaned back and said, you know what, uh, we're good on our own, we, re we don't really need what you have, God. And God says, you know what, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. I'm going to let Israel have you, or I'm going to let Assyria have you. And in 722 B.C., he let Assyria have them. He exiled them. Assyria rolled over them with their so to, tanks, so to speak, with their chariots. They rolled over them and took control of them. At that point, the northern kingdom was no more. later Judah the same thing happened he was correcting them and I think for us as followers of Jesus we need to look to him we need to look to the Lord and allow him to restore our lives allow him to work in our lives and recognize we've been very blessed but we must give him ourselves and turn to Him with everything we have. Because without Him, just like Israel, without Him we have nothing. But He has been kind to us and showed us His mercy. Let's pray. Father, we are here in this place. As Isaiah said, He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Lord, as Your people, we we repent and we ask you to forgive us of our sin, of our going our own way, Lord. Forgive us as a body for going our own way, Lord. And help us, Lord God. We recognize, Lord, the only way we have what we have is because of you. 
And Father, it's so easy for us as human beings to be able to get our eyes on all the other things that's around us. It's so easy for us to see the blessings we have and then say, oh, look, because, because of the blessings, Lord, we're, we're right with you and everything is good. And yet you say, well, I don't know about that. And you say, I'm going to make some corrections. Father God, we come before you with repentant hearts because we need you, Lord. We recognize that we were sinners, we were broken, undone, and we turn to you this morning and we ask you to help us to live out this life in a way, Lord, that you say, yes, that is right. Father, may our righteousness not stem from our own mentalities, but may our righteousness stem from the blood of Christ and what you have done for us. We need you, Lord. We yield ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.